family, you're finding the book of 1 John chapter 3. We'll begin to read in verse 1. For a few moments this morning, I want to speak to you on this subject, family matters. Family matters. 1 John chapter 3, we'll begin to read in verse 1. Won't you stand with me this morning, all those that can, and they're able in honor and in reverence for the reading of God's word. We're in 1 John chapter 3, begin to read in verse 1. The Bible says these words, Behold, what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us that we should be called the children of God. Therefore, the world does not know us because it did not know him. Beloved, now we are children of God, and it has not yet been revealed what we shall be. But we know that when he is revealed, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. And everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself just as he is pure. Let's pray together. Father, we ask your spirit would speak to us, challenge us today. God, I pray for those who have never been born again into your family and can't call you Father today. We pray for those, God, who have been born into the family of God, but there's unrepented sin in their life that separates them in fellowship from you today. God, I pray you'll convict them of that. You'll draw them to repentance, and I pray they'll choose just like they did when they first got saved, to turn from all that separated them today and leave in a right, restored relationship with you. Burden our hearts for those, God, I pray that we know today who fit in both of those categories. They're, they're not here, a neighbor, a family member, uh, a friend, a co-worker. And I pray that, God, we'll make ourselves available to you and you'll work through us to call them and to draw them into a right relationship with you. Bless this time, be honored and glorified through all that's said and done, and through our response to the call of the Holy Spirit today. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Now I invite you to be seated. Remember in chapter 1 and in chapter 2, uh, John is writing and challenging believers about fellowship with the Lord. Again, fellowship is one of those words that we've kind of lost in the church. If we were playing the fill-in-the-blank game, and I said, first thing that comes to your mind with fellowship, you would naturally say food. That's what, you know, you don't have to give the Sunday school answer. You, we, we know. And so that would be, you know, what's been reduced to. But it's not. In its purest essence in the Bible, fellowship's beyond food. It's what we have in common uh, with each other, but it's what we have in common with Christ through a personal relationship and His Holy Spirit that lives in our life. And John challenged believers about some things that separate us from God and cause fellowship to cease. And then John concluded chapter 2 by talking about sonship and daughtership. Uh, look at verse number 28 of 1 John chapter 2. It says, And now little children abide in him, that when he appears we may have confidence, not be ashamed at his coming, if you know that he is righteous, for you, for you know that who practices righteousness, is born of him. That is, who has a present, continuous lifestyle of righteousness. And so John was reminding believers that they've been born into the family of God. It's not about joining the church or being born uh, in a Christian nation or born in a Christian family. It's an individual decision that every single person has to make to repent and trust Christ. Several years ago on Sunday nights, we did a study uh, in discipleship challenging the church about church membership and your life as a member of the church. And that's one of those words that's kind of been lost, too. You, you talk about membership, you think of your deer club or the garden club or whatever club you're in. You know, I'm a member of this club. I was a member of the 4-H club uh, growing up. But that's not what the Bible's speaking of when it's speaking of church membership. The member being a body part. You're, you're a body part in the body of Christ. Christ is the head. And there's a place for you to function in the body of Christ, but also within the local church. And it's all because you're a family member. You've been born again into God's family. And so John speaks today about some matters that have to do with being in the family of God and they should be an encouragement to you and a help but also a challenge if you're out of fellowship in what you're missing and if you've never trusted Christ to be Lord of your life what is available to you but really what you can't have 
until you turn from sin and you trust Christ to be Lord of your life, and then you're born again into the family of God. Four things that John shares. Notice, first off, our position, our position. Look again at verse number one. Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us. What, what manner of love? He says, behold. He says, you know, look at it. Take, don't just, just pass over it or, you know, love. We, we've said the word love so much in church. You know, it, it, it almost means nothing to us anymore. But John says, stop for just a minute and really look at it and think what, what manner. Literally translated, what other love is like this? And there's, there's none. There's no other love that you can ever have or share with somebody. It's, it's an out-of-this-world love that only God can give and only God can demonstrate. John chapter 3, verse 16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son. Whosoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. For God so loved. It's, it's a love like no other. Romans 5, 8, But God demonstrated his love toward us. In this way, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. God allowed Christ to die for you and I, friend, not after we'd repented and progressive sanctification had taken place and we'd begin to serve. He died for us while we were still just changing gears on life's highway, headed towards hell and lost and happy in sin. He, he, he sent his son to die for us while we were still separated from him. And so that's a love that he put into action and that he demonstrated. John chapter 17, uh, verses 20 through 23. Um, John wrote the words of, of Christ where Jesus said in his prayer, this is the prayer of Christ. He says, I do not pray for these alone, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may be one as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they may be one in us, that the world may believe that you sent me. And the glory which you gave me I have given them, that they may be just as we are one. I in them, you and me, that they may be made perfect in one, and that the world may know, listen, that you have sent me and that you have loved them as you love me. Friend, God loves you with the same love that he loves his son, Jesus Christ, with. And so that's why John says, you know, behold, what manner of love is, is like this? There, there is no other love. And it's only experienced when you're born again into the family of God. He says, behold, what manner of love the Father's bestowed upon us that we should be called the children of God. Well, we should be called the children of God because we are the children of God. And you'll hear, people, I heard a lady shared at church one time, she was telling me about a witnessing encounter that she had had. And, you know, it's, it's hard for me to understand how someone can introduce someone to someone that they don't already know. See, this lady needed Christ. And she was trying to tell me that she had been sharing Christ with you. You know, I... I couldn't introduce you uh, to, um, you know, Donald Trump because I don't know him. So it's not like, hey, you know, I want to introduce you to, you know, the ex-president. I don't know him. There's no way I can do that. Well, this, friend, listen, you can't, you can't introduce someone to someone that you don't know. And that's one of the burdens for me in ministry, for parents. The greatest responsibility that God will hold parents accountable for is the spiritual heritage of their children and spiritual education. But a lot of parents can't begin to share or teach because they don't know. They can teach them how to live for the world. Uh, many can teach them how to be half committed to Christ and to chase after things that have no eternal value. But you can't introduce someone to somebody you don't know and you can't teach someone to follow somebody that you're not already following. And so John begins to say, you know, it's, it, we, we should be called the children of God because we are the children of God. Well, well this lady was trying to share the one that was lost. You know, she, she told this guy, she said, so I just told him that we're all God's children. Friend, let me tell you something. We're not all God's children. And we don't all serve the same God. That's a polytheistic statement to people say, well, we all serve. No, we don't. 
The only way, friend, you can know God and be a child of God is to be to repent of your sin and be born again into the family of God. And so God loves all people, and he wants all people to be saved. But we're not all in the family of God unless you've been born into the family. Romans chapter 8 and verse number 29, the Bible says, For, for, he, for whom he did foreknow, he also predestined to be conformed into the image of his Son, that we might be the firstborn of many brethren. It's God's desire that you be conformed into the image of Christ. He desires that all people be saved, but when someone repents and trusts Christ, God predestined that every single person who would repent of their sin and trust Christ would look less like them and look more like Jesus Christ. And that's the good that God works out of the verse before that in Romans chapter 8. All the hardship, all the difficulty. You've heard that verse before, you know, that God works all things out together for good. And maybe you've stood in the valley and said, well, I don't know how God's going to work this out for good. Well, friend, the good that he always works out one way is this. He uses it as heavenly sandpaper to make you look less like you and more like Jesus Christ. That only happens when you're in the family. Uh, John chapter 1, verses 11 through 13. Uh, the Bible says he came into his own and his own did not receive him. So that was a choice the Jewish people had. They, it was God's desire. It was his plan. He had a covenant with the nation of Israel. And he desired that they would be a kingdom of priests that would introduce the living word and the written word to a lost and dying world. 1 Corinthians 1 says, to the Jew first and then the Greek. That's all of us Gentiles. But they chose not to receive him. But look, listen to verse 12. But as many as received him... To them he gave the right to become the children of God, to those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood. It's, it's not by family relation that, you know, because your mom and dad were Christians that you become one, not of blood, not of the will of man, not that someone just decides on their own first, you know, I think I'm going to be a Christian. Ah, that's, that's what I'm going to choose. Lost soldiers did that, you know, you had a choice, Protestant, or Catholic. They'd choose one another. If you didn't choose, they'd choose for you. And just put it on your tag. That's not the way it is. It's not by the will of man. God initiates salvation. It's all his plan. But then a person has to choose whether they'll receive God's gift. It's of God. Romans 6, 23. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ. And if it's really a gift, you always get to choose whether you're going to receive it or not. Hebrews chapter 2, uh, verses 10 through 12. Uh, the Bible says this, For it was fitting for him for whom are all things, and by who are all things, in bringing many sons to glory, to make captain of their salvation, perfect through sufferings, for both he who sanctifies and those who are being sanctified, all are one, for which reason he is not ashamed to call them Brethren, saying, I will declare your name to my brethren in the midst of the assembly. I will sing praise to you. Friend, when I pray and I desire to speak to God through the blood of Jesus Christ, friend, I have a brother. I've got a spiritual brother in heaven that says he's one of mine. And that prayer goes through, friend, because I've got a brother in heaven. It's, it's the Lord Jesus Christ. That's, I've been born again into the family of God. Romans 8 and verse 15 says, For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption, by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. So John is reminding believers of our position. I want to tell you, friend, I don't care how bad your day is, what, what all happens that you just have to choose, if you wish, through Satan's lean to become grumpy about and to lose your joy. Something that ought to keep you centered and have a little pep in your step is if you have trusted Christ to be Lord of your life, your position is, my friend, you're a member of God's family. You're, you're, you've been born again into the family of God. What, what manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us, there's none like it. So he first speaks of our position. Secondly, he speaks of our provision, uh, the things that we have available to us. Because we're members of the family of God. Now listen to me. 
if you've never been saved, it's the things that you don't have available to you. They're, they're not yours. You can't have them because you're not in the family. You're, you're literally like a person that's looking through the window at a family that sat down to a meal full of pot roast and potatoes and the, the carrots and the gravy and mashed potatoes and the rolls and all that goes with it. And, but, but they're on the outside looking in. And the reason they're on the outside looking in and wishing they had some is because they're not a member of the family. But the family's at the table. And that's what people have to understand. It's available for you to receive, but it's your position in Christ that determines whether it's available to you or not. So listen to, listen to our provision. Uh, Matthew chapter 7, verse 11 says, If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more? Will your Father in heaven give good things to those who ask him? Uh, a good dad tries to give his children the things that they need, things that are going to help them, and things that can improve them. But, you know, no good dad is going to stand and drink a Coca-Cola and tell his kid to, you know, enjoy a nice glass of water. You're going you're gonna to make sure that, that he's got one. If you're going to enjoy it, you're going to give you can give him one. No kid's gonna, no, no dad's gonna sit down and eat a hamburger and say, "Here, you have some potted meat." They're not gonna do that. They're gonna make sure that their kid has available to them what they have as well. And friend, the Bible says, "How much more will God give His children?" And so He provides for our needs, not our greeds. Matthew 6, verse 26 says, Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father, He feeds them. That is, He provides for them. All, all that they need, He takes care of. Well, if God does that for a bird that has no soul, how much more value are you to God? And what, what, what more is God going to do for you? Are you not more value than they? Well, how does God provide for us? Well, first off, fathers feed their children. Jeremiah 15, verse 16 says, Your words were found, and I ate them. Your word was to me the joy and rejoicing of my heart. Friend, one way that God has provided for us is His precious holy word. It, it, is, it is how God sustains us spiritually. And friend, I promise you, you need the word of God more than you need a biscuit. It's the most important thing to you in your life spiritually. It is how God leads you, He guides you, He directs you. You can't know the person you're following without the Word of God. And so you have to sit down and eat. But God has given us this, this great provision. 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 2 says, As newborn babies desire the pure milk of the Word that you may grow thereby. And so that's to, to have a desire. Uh, I saw Freddie bringing in the, the little boy this morning. And when I see little babies, it takes us back, and I'm sure it does you too, to days that are bittersweet. Amen? They were a joy, but boy, they were hard. Uh, those midnight feedings and then trying to... But friend, listen, a baby that's healthy, they're going to let you know when they want some milk. And they have a desire. It's, it's in us physically. When it's time to eat, it's time to eat. My friend, as believers, we ought to have a desire for the Word of God. You hear me? Someone that says that they're saved, and yet they say, well, are, what, are we doing at, what are we doing at church? Well, is there going to be a Bible study? Well, I'm probably not coming then. You say, would somebody say that? Yeah, all the time. They'll come from a buffet, but they won't come for the Word of God. And as a believer, my friend, it ought, to, it ought not to offend you or be a hardship to sit down and read the Word of God. And one of those reasons is, friend, is because you want to read it. You want to receive those truths that are in it because it feeds your soul. He says, as newborn babies desire the pure milk that the, that of the Word that you may grow thereby. Hebrews chapter 5, verses 12 through 14, the author of Hebrews says this, For though by this time you ought to be teachers. Now, that's a sad statement. The author of Hebrews is writing this group of Christians and says, you people haven't grown. 
He said, some of you ought to be teachers by now. You need someone to teach you again the first principles of the oracles of God. And you have come to need milk and not solid food. Can, can you all imagine uh, if you, 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 you came to the uh, little appreciation deal last night? Let's go forward to the three-piece service we're going to have tonight. The pizza prayer and the preparation. So it's, it's pizza time, right? And so everybody's going through and getting them some pizza and you look over there and you see Melissa and she's got our 16-year-old daughter Emma laid over in her arm and she's got a bottle up sticking it in her mouth. And Emma's drinking out of it like she was two months old. And you're like, what in the world is happening to her? I said, she won't eat solid food now. Um, she's, she's gone back to formula. You say, well, that's crazy. Well, Paul says it's just as crazy that a Christian that's three or four years old in the faith can't eat the deeper truths of the Word. That they're still having to be spoon-fed. And that happens to, that's what happens to pastors all the time. You know, they'll come into a, to a new church and people say, well, how do you like the new preacher? I don't like him. Why not? Well, he changed my formula. And they're fussy. They don't like him. Because now he starts to preach the hard truths and they want to stay on the bottom. Friend, I'm telling you, I heard, I know a pastor that said with his own mouth, I don't preach the deeper truths of God's word because my people won't understand it. Friend, you hear me today. There is not a truth in this Bible that not anyone sitting in front of me can understand with the aid of the Holy Spirit. The question is whether you want to. The Bible says I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. 1 Corinthians 2.14 The Holy Spirit of God can help you. It's not about whether you can, it's whether you want to. And so the author of Hebrews says uh, for everyone who partakes only of milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness. For he is a babe, but solid food belongs to those who are full age. That is, those who by reason and use of their senses exercise to discern both good and evil. So everybody here that's been saved for more than just a few days, you ought to be moving off, friend, the formula and getting on to the deeper truths of God's Word. And heaven help you, friend, if you're only eating once a week. You need to be learn to be a self-feeder. My mother doesn't drive over the mountain to fix my oatmeal every morning. I do it myself. I, I'm 50 years old, and I've learned how to feed me. And you ought to know how to feed yourself a word of God because you do it every day. You do it every day. Fathers feed their children. But not only that, fathers teach the right example. Psalm 32, verse 8 says, I will instruct you and teach you in the way that you should go. And God does that for us, my friend. And He sent a living example in Jesus Christ. And it's written in the Word, how Christ responded, what He did. And He left us His Word to tell us what we should do and what we should not do. And so we don't have to worry. God gives us the right example. John 14, verses 25 through 26 says, say these words. These things have I spoken to you while being present with you. He says, I've given you truth. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, He will teach you all things. And bring to your remembrance all things that I said unto you. That's why the psalmist says, Your word have I hidden in my heart that I may not sin against you. We put the word in the toolbox of our heart. And then when we need that tool, the Holy Spirit pulls that word up, brings it back to our remembrance. We've studied it. We know how to apply it. And then we know how to respond. Because God has given us the right example. But not only that, fathers watch over their children. Psalm 32, verse 8, God says, I will guide you with mine eye. Isn't that wonderful, friend, to know? You may seem forgotten. And I, and I know that our widowers and widows struggle with that sometimes. Satan will tell you, well, you've, just, you've been forgotten. Friend, listen, there's a holy God that's watching you. He's watching you. He is mindful of everything that you're going through in your life. Psalm 34 and in verse number 15, the psalmist says this, The eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are open to their cry. Not only does he see you, but he hears you. He, he knows the things that you say to him and that you're going through. 
Fathers watch over their children. But not only that, fathers clothe their children. Isaiah 61 and verse 10 says, I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall be joyful in my God, for he hath clothed me. Friend, he's not talking about with flannel or cotton. And heaven help us, polyester's coming back in style. He's not talking about that. He's talking about he clothes us in righteousness. Remember in the book of Genesis that sin entered the world of uh, the book of Romans says by, by one man. The serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God created. And into the garden he came. Eve chose to sin. Remember John in 1 John reminded us she was tempted on three threefold front. Lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, pride of life. God had said of the tree in the midst of the garden you shall not eat of it for the day you eat thereof you will surely die. And so death entered the world, and at that very moment, don't miss this, the Bible says Adam and Eve, when they sinned, they, their eyes were opened, and they knew that they were naked. And the Bible says they hid themselves. They tried to start clothing themselves through human effort with, with fig leaves, making aprons. And I expect that was pretty good at best for what they were trying to do. But as soon as we certainly know, just look out in your front yard. When a leaf is detached from its source of life, what happens to it? it? It begins to die. It begins to get hard and it begins to crumble. So through their human effort, don't miss this, Adam and Eve tried to clothe and hide the shame of their sin. And they couldn't do it. But God came down for them and he clothed them in a way that they could never clothe themselves. In Genesis chapter 3 verse 21 is the Genesis of the sacrificial system. The, God, the Bible says that God made for them tunics. He, he, he made them tunics of animal skin. An animal had to die. Adam and Eve saw something they'd never seen before. Blood. The Bible says that the life of the flesh is in the blood. Leviticus 17, 11. And they, 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 at that moment when they saw that, they had to realize this animal's died because of us. And so God hid the shame of their sin in a way they could never do that. And that's why the Bible says in Romans chapter 13 and verse 14, put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh. And my friend, you and I are born standing naked before God in our sin. But when you turn from sin and trust Christ to be Lord of your life, you put on Jesus Christ. And God doesn't see all the stuff that Satan tries to get you to remember, that keeps you up at night sometimes? Can I have a witness? He doesn't think about, he doesn't remember those things because, friend, if you've trusted Christ, he has chosen to remember them no more. They are separated as far as the east is from the west. When he looks at you, he doesn't see the person that you used to be. He only sees the righteousness of his son, Jesus Christ. God clothes us, and that's what fathers do for their children. Not only that, fathers protect their children. Malachi chapter 3 and verse number 11. The Bible says, I will rebuke the devourer for your sakes. Now, church family, just let me pause to keep it in full context and let you know that God was saying that when you're faithful in financial stewardship, he does that. Now, I've always found it interesting. People say, all the, I've been here seven years. You, you can't count on one time on one hand, the amount of times I've talked about money in this church. But I've always found it interesting, you know, someone will say, well, all the, all the preacher does is talk about money. This is something I've discovered. Brother Ray would affirm this. I know from just knowing him. Friend, whatever it is in your life that you're not being faithful to God to do, that's all you're going to hear when the Word of God's preached and taught. The Holy Spirit's going to hem you up. Friend, I could get up here and talk about Zacchaeus, how we was, a wee little man in a, in a sycamore tree. And you're going to say, well, all the pastor talked about was money. Well, if you're robbing God, that's all you're going to hear. If, if, if you've got bitterness in your heart, you're going to think all I do is preach on bitterness. If you've not followed the Lord in believers' baptism, all you're going to think I do is preach on baptism. If you've got sin in your life, that's all you're going to, all the pastor does is preach about sin. Friend, God's going to hit you point blank where your need is in your life. But the Bible promises in the book of Malachi, when we are faithful and a joyful, hilarious giver and we're faithful in financial stewardship and a right relationship with God, God rebukes the devourer for our sakes. So just let me pause and say, you know, if the devil's on you and eating you up, you may want to check your tithing record and see where you're at with God. But God protects his children. Listen to Psalm 
91, the Bible says, He who dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, He is my refuge and my fortress, my God, in Him I will trust. Surely He shall deliver you from the snare of the fowler and from the perilous pestilence. He shall cover you with His feathers and under His wings you shall take refuge. His truth shall be your shield and your buckler. My friend, this promise just isn't for soldiers. That's the soldier's psalm. It's for all people who belong to the Lord Jesus Christ. Fathers protect their children. Now, this one isn't that popular, but it's true. Fathers discipline their children. When you get out of step, your heavenly Father, He's going to take you to the spiritual woodshed. The author of Hebrews In Hebrews chapter 12, verses 5 through 7, speak of the right relationship that we have with God when God demonstrates to us that, and have you forgotten the exhortation which speaks to you as sons? My son, do not despise the chastening of the Lord, nor be discouraged when you're rebuked by him. For whom the Lord loves, he chastens and scourges every son whom he receives. If you endure chastening, God deals with you as sons. For what son is there whom the Father does not chasten? My friend, that's, that's a good test as to whether you really belong to God. Now, you hear me. I've talked to people before in ministry and said, you know, you have a family member that's concerned about you. And this is going on in your life. Is this not true? It's true. Well, the Bible says that that's sin. Or I will talk to someone and say, you know, this isn't happening in your life. And the Bible says it's supposed to. Are you convicted by that? And I've had people before say, well, not at all. I'll say, well, we've got a bigger problem than that. Well, what's the problem? Well, the Bible says that the presence of this in your life or the absence of it in your life, whatever the case might be, is sin. It's either sin of commission or sin of omission. And you've just admitted that this is present in your life. And I say, well, yeah. That's that's true. Do you not feel any conviction from God over that? Not a bit. So, friend, the bigger problem is this. You don't belong to God. You may have a big dose of religion, but, my friend, if the Bible says something is sin, and that sin is a reality in my life, and I don't feel chastening or conviction from God, then I don't belong to God, because whom the Lord loves, he chastens. And one of the sure signs, friend, that you belong to God is this. You can't sin and get away with a blooming thing. Now, somebody tell me I'm right. It's true. You know just as sure as you sin, oh, I shouldn't have said that. Oh, I shouldn't have done that. Or, oh, I should have done that. And there's that time of grieving, that that pressure. David said it this way. In, In the book of Psalms, he said, God, your hand was heavy upon me. Day and night. He says there was this presence of unconfessed sin. And so, friend, when we sin, God disciplines us. And it really brings us to a place, you know, that you need to say, can I sin and get away with it? Do I feel any conviction? My friend, if you don't, you need to be born again to the family of God. It's one of the sure signs that you don't belong to the Lord. So John speaks first about our position, then there's our provision, all the ones that we've listed. But third notice, very quickly this morning, our promise. We have a promise of because we're in the family of God. Verse 2 says, Beloved, now we are children of God, and it has not yet been revealed what we shall be. But we shall know that when He is revealed, we shall be like Him, for we shall see Him as He is. We have the promise first that that Jesus is coming again. It says, when He is revealed. Now, I can't speak for you this morning, but my friend, I'm ready to see Him. This world is in an absolute mess. I read an article several years ago, and I, I just remember this statement that the pastor wrote. He said it was his experience that the average church member was more excited about a trip to Disneyland than they were the truth that Jesus is going to come again. And I, I found that to be true. You, you, try to, you hear people talk about their vacation and where they're going. They're so excited and they're showing you pictures. But you begin to talk to people about the fact, my friend, Jesus Christ is going to come and he's going to rapture this church out of this world. And, and it's like you told people 
you know, their mother-in-laws come to stay a couple of months with them. Friend, I want to tell you, it blesses my heart that Christ could come even today and rapture his church out of this wicked, sinful world of which, friend, we have no part of except we're just here on mission. It's what, what a promise that Jesus is going to come again. Now, I'm telling you, friend, there's nothing to prevent it. Now, there are those in their eschatological view that believe there are things that are going to happen. But friend, I'm just telling you, if you rightly interpret the Word of God, absolutely nothing else has to happen. Jesus could come at any moment in the clouds and take His church away. And so we're so excited and we look forward to that. It's a promise. But it's also a promise that we're going to get to see Him. You know, I've had some friends several years ago that went to the, uh, to the Grand Canyon. And they, they came back and showed some pictures about it when they got back. And they're, I've never seen the Grand Canyon. You know, I haven't been out there. And I've heard it's, it's an amazing thing. And if you have, congratulations to you. But they were, they were showing the pictures, and, and it was just a neat thing. And friend, listen to me. I've never seen Jesus Christ. But one day I will see him with my eyes. I, I, nobody's going to have to show me pictures of what he looks like or come and tell me what he looks like. I'm going to see him with a set of glorified eyes. What a promise that I get to look at Christ and see him as he is, verse 2 says, in all of his resurrected glory. The exact way that all the disciples saw him for those 40 days, I'm going to get to see Jesus as well. John chapter 17, verse 24 says, Father, I desire, this is Jesus' prayer for us, Father, I desire that they also whom you gave me may be with me where I am that they may behold my glory, which you have given me, for you loved me before the foundation of the world. Paul writing to Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 6, and in verse number 14, he said these words, uh, that you keep his commandments without spot, blameless, until our Lord Jesus Christ's appearing, which he will manifest in his own time, he who is the blessed and only potentate, the King of kings and Lord of lords, who alone has immortality, dwelling in unapproachable light, that's the glory of God, whom no man has seen or can see, and to whom be honor and everlasting power. Amen. And friend, I don't even understand how all that's going to look, and it just excites me to death to be able to go find out and see it. One day. I want to tell you something, friend. Heaven's going to be heaven, not because of the street of gold or the mansion that you're going to live in or the choir or getting to see family. hear that all the time. Well, they're finally with family. Friend, none of that's really going to matter. Heaven's going to be heaven, friend, because we get to see Jesus Christ face to face. That's what heaven is all about. It's because of Jesus. What, what a promise. And not only will we see him, but the Bible says we're going to be like him. Uh, a brother shared with me this morning a, a medical hardship that, that he's facing. And I know it's burdened he and his family. One of the godliest men I ever knew in my life, his name was Elmer Hogs. And Elmer had leukemia. And, and it just so ravaged his body. And his favorite verse of Scripture was from Job chapter 19, verses 25 through 27. He'd sit and quote it with a tear in his eye every time that I talked to him. He'd say, for I know that my Redeemer lives. And he shall stand on the earth, praise God. And after my skin is destroyed, this I know, that in my flesh I shall see God, whom I shall see for myself, and my eyes shall behold, not another, how my heart yearns within me. And friend, I've got that same yearning today. There's a mission to complete. There are lost people to reach. But can I just stand and say, friend, it, it, it gets so frustrating, does it not? All the pettiness that we have to put up with in life, the absolute sheer stupidity sometimes of the things that we have to deal with in ministry. The lost world that we're constantly bombarded by. Uh, the immorality. The things that are pumped into our houses that we didn't ask for. The things we're confronted by. Just trying to live in a lost and dying world. But friend, listen. One of these days, we get to shed all that behind. And we get to see Jesus as he is, have glorified bodies that are free from all the effects of sin. Your back's not going to be bad. You're not going to have diabetes. You'll never hear the word cancer ever again. You won't hear the word doctor, undertaker, hearse, urn, 
casket. Friend, we're going to get to be with Jesus Christ forever and ever and ever and with him will ever be. That's a promise from God this morning. I'm telling you, friend, it's only because and it's only for those who've been born again into the family of God. Thank God for that today. Psalm 17 verse 15 says, As for me, I will see your face in righteousness and I shall be satisfied when I awake in your likeness. Praise the Lord for those promises. Fourth, and close with this, notice our peculiarity. Now listen, that doesn't mean odd. There there are some church folk that think there's something spiritual about being odd, and there's not. You've just chosen to be odd. Peculiar means different. Uh, Look what verse 1 says again. Behold what manner of love the Father's bestowed upon us, that we should be called the children of God. Therefore... The world does not know us because it did not know him. And so when the world looks at me, and when the world looks at you, this is what they ought to say. Well, they're just like their daddy. They're just like their daddy. I've been in ministry long enough now to to be around different families and different churches and to see different generations and to watch how a son speaks and say, well, now, he got that from his dad. Or to notice how a daughter carries herself or maybe, you know, says something and say, well, she got that from her mother. And see that they mark them. Well, friend, I want to tell you something. When the lost world looks at how we live, how we speak, how we act, Philippians 2, 5, let this mind that was in Christ Jesus be in you also, they all just say, they're different. They're not like the rest of the world. They don't talk like everybody else. They don't go the same places everybody else goes. They don't laugh at the things everybody else laughs at. They look at the world and they live differently. Well, they live just like Jesus did. It's not because, friend, that you know that we're, we're, we're trying to mimic in some way. It's a natural thing that takes place because Christ is living his life through us. It's a desire we have to do it, but it's something that naturally happens because we yield ourselves to the Lord. Uh, 1 John chapter 2 and verse number 15 says, Do not love the world or the things of the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. I hear Christians all the time say, Well, I love that movie. It's a rated R movie that's worldly. How can you love that? Well, I, I love that soap opera. How can you love that as a child of God? Well, I just, boy, I love that music group. How can you do that? I just, boy, I love that wine. That's the best wine. How can you do that as a child of God? The Bible says right here, do not love the world or the things of the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in them. And so it's a natural thing for Christians to want to be holy, for Jesus is holy. He said, be holy for I am holy. The Bible says in verse number 3 that we're to purify ourselves. And everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself just as he is pure. And can I say for all the legalistic club, this isn't legalism. It's natural. The fellow tell me, well, you're a pastor, there's a different standard. Friend, my Bible says right here there's only one standard for all people, and it's Jesus Christ. Not one standard, two standards, three standards, and you just... Pick which club you're going to be in. If you've been born again to the family of God, the only thing that God accepts is that we try to be and we submit ourselves to be just like Jesus Christ. We're to purify ourselves just as He is pure. This speaks first off of our place in Him. Everyone purifies Himself. It's my heart, my life. That's where this takes place. And by what power? In Christ. Acts 1.8, and you shall receive power. You've heard it. Well, I just can't stop doing this. I just can't. You make God a liar. I can do what? All things. You say, well, I've got the gene and it was in my family. Friend, it's in your family if you've been born again to live a holy life. You've got a greater gene now. You've got a spiritual gene to have victory over any sin. So there's the place, there's the power, but there's the privilege. Purifies himself as he is pure. It's not a burden. My friend, it's a privilege to be able to live the life of Christ and to yield ourselves. Can I remind you, friend, God didn't have to save us. 
He would have been holy and he would have been just to let every single person die and go to hell. But in his mercy and in his grace, he extends to us forgiveness and gives us the opportunity to have life and life more abundantly in him. It's a privilege. I talk to people about service and like we're trying to talk them into a timeshare down at the beach. I'm not trying to talk anybody into anything. I'm just encouraging people to experience all that Christ has saved you to experience in Him. And can I remind you, we'll hold you accountable at the judgment seat of Christ for what you've done with the opportunities He's given you. Not to obey out of fear, but to obey out of love. Because you love Him. A group of teenagers were out and about one evening. And a young girl had Asked permission from her family to go with the friends. Well, as they began to ease out on their evening, and they had been told they were going to go to a movie, the friend that was driving said, Hey, change of plans. We're going down to this bar. And the girl who was in the car said, Well, you need to take me back home. And they began to laugh at her and say, No, come on, you're going with. And she said, No, I'm not. You take me back home. And the girls, and everybody looked at the girl and they said, are you afraid your dad's going to hurt you? She said, no, I'm afraid if I do something, it would hurt him. See the difference? She wasn't afraid of getting caught in her dad doing something to her. She was afraid of getting caught in it hurting him. My friend, when you really began to grow in your love for Jesus Christ, you're not going to obey God because you think he's standing up there with a lightning bolt or he's going to give you cancer or he's going to kill one of the grandkids. He's going to take all your retirement. You're not obeying because you're just, you're going to obey because you love him and because you want to please him. That's one of the privileges, my friend, of being in the family of God is that you've got a father who loves you. You grow in a loving relationship with him and you want to live a life of holiness. You want to discover your spiritual gift. You want to find out where God wants to use you. You want to tell everybody about him. Not because you're afraid of God, but because you love him and you want other people to experience that love because now you love all people because Christ is loving them through you. Let's bow our heads and let's close our eyes. I want to ask you three questions as we go to invitation. Would you pay attention real quickly this morning? Listen to me. Have you been born again to the family of God? Friend, it's yes or no. There's either, there's either been a moment in your life where you have turned from sin and trusted Christ to be Lord of all of you, or you haven't. If you've never done it, won't you do it today? God loves you. Christ died for you. He wants to save you and live his life through you. And it's far better than anything you could ever come up with on your own. But you've got to choose to turn and trust him today. If you've never done that, call out to him right now. The Bible says whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Pray just like this. God, forgive me of sin. I believe Christ died for me. I believe he rose again. I surrender all of my life to the Lordship of Christ. Forgive me. Save me from the penalty of sin. Be Lord of me. That's my prayer right now. Now, our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed. No one's looking around. If you prayed that, in just a moment when they begin to sing, be bold, step out into one of these aisles and make your way forward. And I want to encourage you in what God wants to do next in your life. You can say with all confidence you've been born to the family of God. But now listen to me. Can you say with all confidence today that you're rightly related to your heavenly Father? You're rightly related. Listen, if Jesus came back right now, would you be ashamed or would you have great delight? My friend, if you'd be ashamed, you've got sins of commission or sins of omission today in your life. Deal with it. Freshen anew, surrender your life to the Lordship of Christ and leave rightly related to God. The third question I'd ask you today is this. Who do you know who would say no to those first two questions. They've never been born again. And they're not rightly related to God. I want you to think about them. I want you to see their face. Would you not now in this moment. Make yourself available to God. To be used. To challenge them. Today or this week. Concerning the great spiritual need. That they have in their life where they stand. Either lostness. Or they're out of fellowship with the Lord. Father, thank you for the privilege of being called your 
child. Thank you for Christ, what he did, the way that he made. Now, God, I pray for decisions that need to be made in this place. Those who've trusted you either this morning, they'll be bold to make their way forward so we can encourage them now, what you want to do next in their life. Praying for those who are separated from you because of sins of commission or omission. Oh, God, I pray they'll repent of it today, that they can leave again a fresh and new experience and all the benefits that come and being in the family of God. And burden us, God, for those who are separated and out of fellowship with you. We make ourselves available to be your agents of reconciliation to see people reconciled to God today. Bless this invitation in Christ's name. Let's reverently stand to our feet. Heads are bowed.